0: You're listening to the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Hello everyone. Welcome to the 16th episode of the Armchair Cricket Podcast. This is a podcast focusing on test cricket by armchair critics of the game. We are recording this episode at the conclusion of the first T20 International between uh, South Africa and Sri Lanka. Uh, We would like to thank all our listeners for their continued support. Um, If you guys are listening out there, please do not forget to subscribe uh, to our podcast uh, on whichever platform you use uh, to listen to us on, be it uh, Podbean or Apple Podcasts or Spotify or anything similar to that. Um, You can just search for Armchair Cricket Podcast and you should be able to find us quite easily. Uh, Do not forget to leave us a rating um, on uh, any of these platforms and also share your feedback. If you have any feedback or if you would like to you know, participate in one of our episodes, you can write to us on armchair.cricket at gmail.com. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at armchaircrickpod. Uh, we are also active on uh, Facebook. You can find all these links uh, in the description. Now, having said all this, I would like to welcome my co-host, um, Ajit. Hi, Ajit. How are you doing?
1: Hello, Giri. Good evening. I'm doing good. How are you doing?
0: Fine, thank you. Um, yeah, not much cricket happening
1: around, uh,
0: just one test match and some uh, yeah, one day internationals and T20s, but uh, not a lot of cricket these days.
1: Well, I think we are uh, counting down to the beginning of the IPL, the sort of almost exclusive window that uh, yeah. IPL gets. So, yeah, I guess the amount of cricket is dwindling down. This uh, T20 series uh, between Sri Lanka and South Africa might very well be one of the last cricket that might be happening before the IPL. But we'll look at it in the upcoming episodes for sure, what is available for us. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, before we go on with the current, uh, you know, cricketing events this week, let's first look at the trivia question from the last week. So, the trivia question from the last week was, who is the first South African cricketer to take a 50-over World Cup hat-trick? So, Uh, We did not get any uh, correct answers from our uh, listeners this week. So, the um, correct answer to this question is J.P. Dumini, who took uh, a hat-trick in the first quarter-final of the 2015 World Cup against Sri Lanka. So, if you were to just take a quick look at this match, you know, this was the last Monday match of two Sri Lankan legends, both Sangarkar and Vaila Javardana. Uh, sort of retired from one-day cricket after this match. So this was the end of the road for both these giants from the subcontinent. So, you know, uh, Sri Lanka batting first, uh, were in a reasonably good position by the time J.P. Dubini was introduced. And uh, as a part of his hat-trick, he triggered a four-wicket uh, slide for Sri Lanka. And on the other side, Imran Tahir supported him very ably. And he took four for 26. And Sri Lanka, who were in a reasonably good position, uh, suddenly were all out for uh, just a, you know, 133. So, w- with such an easy total to chase, South Africa went after it with all gusto and, uh, you know, quit to de it it uh, 78 runs of just 57 balls. This basically meant, you know, uh, the last one day for uh, both uh, Sanakkar and Jaywardhana was not a victorious one, but also rather a little bit of an ignominious defeat. So, this is the event we were trying to capture through our question. So, it's just a quick summary of the match that happened. Uh, For South Africa, it was sort of a very crucial match because this was the first knockout match they had won in World Cups. Until that point in 2015, until the 2015 World Cup, they had never won a knockout match in a World Cup. So, they were were really ecstatic with this match and so on and so on. Mm. So, there are some very interesting articles about this uh, surrounding this match. So I would encourage our listeners to go out there and seek them because I don't want to go too much into detail. But it's a very nice episode of cricket, so to say. Now, yeah. going onwards, uh, we had a very exciting test that ended on uh, that ended yesterday, right on the 18th of March. Yeah. Giri, would you like to take us through this test match score?
0: Yeah. Um, so
1: <clears throat> the newbies in the
0: test cricket, um, Ireland and Afghanistan, both of them playing their second Test match. Um, As you can recollect in our previous episode, we had covered the first day's play, uh, at the end of which Afghanistan were um, at a very strong position of 90 runs for the loss of two wickets in their first innings, having um, bowled Ireland out uh, for 172 runs. Uh, We have to remember that Ireland were 85 for at. One stage only to be rescued by uh, their uh, fast bowler, um, Tim Murter. I think Tim is is that his name? Yeah, Tim Murter. Yeah. Um, With his 50, otherwise, Ireland wouldn't have got that 172 runs in their first innings. Mm -hmm. Afghanistan, in reply, made 314 runs in their first innings. So they consolidated their position, um, you know, uh, and uh, made sure they had a sizable lead. Uh, which only meant that you know uh, mm-hmm. ireland had to fight back if they had if they were to put up any uh, resistance or you know if they were to save this match uh, mm-hmm. afghanistan made 314 runs um, courtesy of uh, scores of 50 plus by uh, Asghar afghan mm-hmm. uh,
1: 67
0: runs who happens to be the captain of the team and rahmat shah who missed out on a century Uh, He scored 94 runs, a very patient innings, proper test match innings, I have to say, from 214 deliveries. Uh, Mm. For Ireland, uh, Dockrell picked up a couple of wickets for 63 runs, and Thompson picked up three wickets uh, in his spell. Um, The other notable performance uh, in the uh, Afghanistani batting lineup was, um, I think, uh, Mohamed Shahzad. He he was not bad. I think he, he got off to a good start. Uh, mm-hmm. 40 runs yeah uh, and uh, Hashmatullah mathullah Shahidi uh, yeah. the number four um, he also made us 50 uh, 61 mm-hmm. runs uh, from his 154 um, in response uh, Ireland um, fought back uh, in a good way and uh, they managed to score 288 runs in their second innings at the end of 93 overs um, for them uh, Kevin O'Brien, made a 50 made a 50, um, or uh, 56 runs. Uh, Balberni also made 82 runs. Uh, uh, McCollum got a start, he made 39 runs, but couldn't capitalize. Apart mm-hmm. from that, I think there there was some resistance in the tail, Dockrell, Cameron Dow, as well as Murter, uh, you know, for, uh, put on 25, 30 runs uh, together uh, to reach this. Um, mm-hmm. And Afghanistan were set a target. Of 149 runs
1: uh, to win. Right.
0: Um, yeah, it, it was not a huge target, 147. Um, and Afghanistan kind of began very patiently. And Mohamed Shahzad, you know, I think he, he looked uh, not his natural self here. You know. He's a naturally attacking player, but he played within himself and he's, he got out for two runs. Um, um, so afghanistan was 5 for 1 at the end of 10 overs mm-hmm. and Esanullah uh, and uh, rahmat shah they basically batted for a long period uh, and by the time rahmat shah got out uh, for 76 runs uh, the score was 144 for 2 so afghanistan mm-hmm. had basically got the match uh, you know well and truly uh, uh, done it was the match was well and truly done by then um, and then they finished it off, you know, uh, with the loss of three wickets in the end. Um, not much to talk about with uh, the bowling performances from uh, Ireland because they had, didn't have a big score to defend. Uh, a wicket each for McGrine and Cameron Dow. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, for his uh, consistent performance in both the first innings as well as in the second innings, Ramat Shah was deservedly awarded the man of the match. Yeah. And, you know, this was a one-off test match uh, afghanistan take it uh, and also secure their first ever test victory in yeah. their in their just their uh, second test match so well done to afghanistan and also to ireland for uh, making a context uh, contest out of it and not uh, you know going down with an innings defeat or something like that it's so well done mm-hmm. to both the teams
1: indeed so um, you know first of all uh, both the teams played really well for sure but uh congratulations to afghanistan who you know, become the joint uh, second fastest team to the number of, uh, you know, uh, with the number of tests that they've taken for their first test win. So they are are tied second spot uh, along with, uh, you know, uh, Pakistan and England. And each of these three teams have won, uh, have secured a victory in the very second match they've played. So we would like to congratulate Afghanistan for a team, you know, from 2008, who are just in associate cricket and who are in, you know, ACL Division 5 2008 Mm -hmm. to 2019, in 11 years to have come as far as to win their first test match already. This is an incredible, incredible rise compared to somebody like, you know, Ireland or, you know, many other teams out there. Because uh, some of these teams have representative cricket for more than 30 years, for example, right? Scotland, Ireland and Netherlands for that matter. But um, when you compare uh, Afghanistan to all these teams, they have done incredibly well in a very short period of time. Right. the last 10 years has been nothing but magical for afghanistan i think they've had many key contributors uh, in this journey and they all deserve the credit to where afghanistan stands today right so uh, if you were to just look at some statistical points from this match uh, we had already covered what had happened on the first day but uh, when we look at the second day beat the second or the third day and the fourth day then this match was full of twists and turns for me because. You know, there were a couple of very key moments in this match uh, when each of these teams could have seized control or brought the match back to parity, if I may say it like that. So, Mm -hmm. I would like to quickly discuss through some of these points. So, having begun the second day at 90-for-2, Afghanistan played out very uh, carefully the entire morning session, even though they did not, you know, score at a very high rate. They finished at 150-for-2 and the first uh, session of the second day. This was a crucial, crucial you know, session for both teams and Afghanistan won that session and probably that led them to a long way in winning the match. So there Rahmat Shah and Hashmatullah Shahidi took as much time as they needed. They played like proper old school test cricket with strike rates of around 40, you know, and they were not bothered excessively about it, right? And then Rahmat Shah was very unlucky to be dismissed on 98. He played on to Tim Butter trying to guide him to the third man and you know, played on, it was very unfortunate, right? And then Hashmatullah Shahidi was out by then, but uh, Askar Afghan, the captain, who's, who used to be called Asghar Saniksa at some point in time, he uh, has changed his name. And uh, this guy is uh, played a very judicious innings. So usually yeah. Afghanistan always has a sting in the tail. If you remember what happened in the one day as previously, uh, Afghanistan's lower order continuously kept rescuing them. Right. Rashid Khan or Mohamed Nabi, or uh, Najibullah Sadran, who played in the one-dayers. Somebody used to rescue them. But in this case, the sting in the tail was missing. So at, you know, they were at 226 for three. They were in a very strong position. They were already leading by close to 50 runs. There was a chance when they could have run away with it. This was a crucial point when, you know, sort of Ireland started striking back. And uh, a little bit of naivete from uh, Afghanistan showed through. And, uh, they lost a couple of wickets. But Askar Afghan made sure, you know, he, he scored at a strike rate of more than 70. And even though Rashid Khan had a couple of quick hits, nobody really supported him until Bafadar Moman, who was batting at 10, a fast bowler, came in and he hung around for about 30 minutes. And basically, Askar Afghan gave Afghanistan this important lead of 140 runs. That's entirely down to him, I would say. When it comes to bowling, well, uh, you already highlighted it. So... Andy McBride and uh, James Cameron Dow and Stuart Thompson, George Stocker, all of these people chipped in well. But crucial, the most crucial, uh, let's say, the spell, as far as I was concerned, was Stuart Thompson, who took uh, three wickets, versus, uh, giving away 28 runs in nearly 18 overs. So this was a very crucial spell. I think both the fast bowlers did a fantastic job. But when it came, their turn to bat, again, Ireland uh, did not start off well. William Porterfield, the Irish captain, had a very... Uh, ordinary match, but you know, even their um, impressive opener, the other impressive opener, Paul Sterling could not do much in this case. So as a result, uh, Andrew Balbirni and James McCollum did bulk of the sort of rebuilding job. So they had gotten to a comfortable uh, 137 for two. So by then, you know, they had nearly erased the score that, or the lead that Afghanistan had built. So they were just within four runs of this lead. And you know, in effect, they could have, again, run away with this match at that point in time. But then the the match turned again. And this time, it was mainly due to Rashid Khan. So, Rashid Khan, uh, you know, he took three wickets in the first innings. But he took a fantastic 5-4 in the second innings. He uh, managed to take the first 5-4 by an Afghanistani bowler in tests. And uh, this is no surprise. You know, on Twitter, we used to joke around. This guy is called the white ball goat or white ball greatest of all time, right? And mm-hmm. We were sort of looking at where he, he would perform and how he would really come up with the goods when it came to this test. And he was able to deliver in the second inning. So, in spite of a very, you know, very, uh, very painful uh, index finger injury, he was able to, you know, make a very telling contribution. I think we'll take a quick look at his role maybe at the end of this summary because uh, he was one of the people who was very crucial along with Yamin Ahmedzai. Zai. This guy. Yamin Ahmed Zai is a very good fast bowler who swings the ball both ways. He doesn't bowl express, but around 130 is what his pace is. But he swings the ball very well. You know, he reminds you of bowlers from that part of the world. Some Pakistani bowlers, some Indian bowlers as well, who are able to swing the ball both ways. So he was very good. He took three wickets. And Bakar Salam, left-arm Chinaman bowler or a left-arm leg spinner. This guy also took two wickets. So uh, that meant, you know, a target of 147 was set. And again, uh, when they chased it down, Isanullah and Hamad Shah played fantastic level. Well. So there was one pivotal uh, point on the fourth morning when you know Isanullah was dropped, uh, a really uh, sort of a dolly, you could say a short cover. Kevin OBrien dropped him. And we don't know what would have been the impact of this. Maybe there would have been a bit more you know, a trouble for Afghanistan chasing the total down. but after that they almost were in self-denial. For the first hour on the morning, Afghanistan played with a lot of uh, control and focus making sure they play out all the balls. And once their eyes were set, they opened their shoulders. rahmat Shah was again, you know, he was dismissed at 144, going for a Yahoo, going for a big hit to finish the match. And Mohammad Nabi, who came out, sort of had a little bit of a brain fed and was run out, going for a second run of the very first ball. But those are just small hiccups. But, you know, Afghanistan all in all deserved to comfortably win this match and they did that, you know, winning it by seven wickets. So, well done them, you know. We were listening to Gorilla Cricket and they were teasing the Afghan captain who's, who was slated to come in at five or four, you know, and given this situation. Uh, it looks like he was already... You know, wearing his finery or, you know, his coat and stuff waiting to go to the presentation. <laughs> and suddenly, people start getting out. So, he started promoting other people ahead of him. Muhammad mm-hmm. Nabi. Or, you know, <laughs> that was a joke somebody on Guerrilla Cricket mentioned. So, it was a good one. It was all in all a very enthralling Test match and a good end to it is this Test match. Again, these two teams showing that Test match cricket is well and alive. And they're competing very well. So, uh, another small interesting point, you know, just mm-hmm. as a statistical note. Sundaram Ravi, who was umpiring in this match. He's an Indian. So, technically, he was a neutral umpire in this test match, but he was in, umpiring in India. So, he, somebody in gorilla cricket pointed out, it's been a, a very long time, in more than 20, 25 years, never has a, had an umpire, got an opportunity mm. to umpire in his home country in tests. <laughs> so, Sundaram Ravi got the opportunity in this case. So, it was another interesting thing, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think so. All right,
1: so if you were to just quickly go back to Rashid Khan and his impact, I think uh, you were mentioning off-air to me about some of the, the way he bowls. Uh, yeah, yeah.
0: So Rashid Khan, um, he he's a leg spinner all right, but uh, the way he spins the ball is quite different to a traditional leg spinner, I would say. For example, somebody like Imran Tahir or uh, Adams. Adams Ampa is no, not much of a spinner anyway. Uh, I think if you if you look at his bowling action, uh, he uses his wrist, but then again, he uses his fingers a lot more than he does with his wrist. Uh, his googly especially, I've watched it live, I think, probably during uh, the BBL, if I'm not wrong, BBL or was the IPL last year. Uh, he holds the ball with the tip of his fingers when he's delivering the googly, so he has to you know, give it a whack with his fingers along with his wrist when he uh, delivers the googly, and mm-hmm. for that to happen, he needs to put a lot of uh, you know uh, pressure on his fingers. Um, the fact that he had an injured finger, uh, I think it was the index finger, mm-hmm. which is used by him quite a lot in you know in bowling those googlies, uh, okay. is 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 it's a, a true uh, testament to his you know uh, skill as well as his um, strength. I think he 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 kept it alive. He, he, with such an injury, you might have as well, you know, rested and not played at all. But he wanted to, you know, uh, he, he wanted to, you know, he was really eager to bowl and then uh, do a good job for his team, for his country. So the yeah. motivation was there. I think the motivation itself carried him uh, forward and, you know, achieve those or get grab those five wickets uh, in the end. So well done to Rashid Khan. I think his, uh, it was an amazing performance, uh, even with an injured finger. That's one thing. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, but um, I had one more remark about uh, this, uh, you know, uh, this test match when it was Ireland's turn to bat second uh, in the second innings. Mm-hmm. There was a howler uh, oh. with Sterling, uh, you know. I see. Uh, he was adjudged LB, adjudged, adjudged LBW uh, by <laughs> by our own Sundaram Ravi, you know, mm-hmm. uh, officiating in his home country, although. It's a neutral umpire in this case. Uh Um, There was a thick inside edge. uh, And uh, yeah, Sterling would consider himself really unlucky to get out. And we had this banter also on Twitter, Rajit, remember, uh, about DRS not being available in this match. Of course. of course. Uh, And with the DRS, this would have been easily caught. Uh, But once the decision is given, the umpire can't reverse it, right, without the aid of technology. Mm -hmm. Um, We couldn't do much about it. So he had to go back. I think that was... The second wicket to fall for Ireland in the second innings uh, and had he carried on may well have been different you know maybe the match the complexion of the whole match would have looked a lot different uh, to what he did uh, in the end mm-hmm. and you also mentioned offline Ajit about DRS uh, requiring a budget of something like hundred thousand dollars or something per day Uh, And it's paid for by uh, the host country, uh, in this case, Afghanistan. And I don't even know if there was television coverage of this uh, test match because I couldn't find... Uh, any, uh, you know, links uh, myself or I didn't hear about this from any of my other friends.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so I'm, I'm really curious how this was telecast. We were listening to, of course, uh, radio commentary from uh, Gorilla Cricket. Mm. Um, so so if there was no television coverage, there, the DRS would then probably... Uh, you know the DRS wasn't there because of that, but I think for every test match ICC ICC should do something uh, in order mm-hmm. to you know make this DRS available. They should make it more uniform all over the world. Um, right. So, what's your opinion on that? Do you do you think it's a good idea to have DRS for all test matches across the world?
1: For sure. So for me, well, I mean there is a bit of ambiguity here. I think there is there was a third umpire availability, so there were cameras mm. and. I have a feeling maybe Ireland Cricket or Afghanistan Cricket may have actually streamed this live using their own home website. I'm not sure about it. Mm. But uh, that might have been the only option. And I think there was some televised, uh, you know, there were some services, or some channels that were offering it, maybe not in India or in other parts of the world. But at the end of the day, it is indeed a bit weird to see that, you know, a test match should be considered a test match. It should be the same, the playing conditions are there. Are vagaries in all of those things, but when it comes to what are the options available to players and umpires, there should be no difference. So, mm-hmm. you're literally DRS is such an important tool. We've seen test matches turn, sometimes series turn on it, right? Mm-hmm. So, as you say, maybe <clears throat> Ireland might feel a bit aggrieved, and Afghanistan might be, you know, well within their rights to actually not uh, take this uh, $100,000 a day. Uh, cost because it, it comes with these additional cameras, these additional special effect cameras and those other things that are able to slow it down, make these frames per second extra and all that, right? That's what you require for DRS and also the cameras for Hawkeye. So yep. all of these are what costs uh, those $100,000 a day additionally. But at the end of the day, I think if for whatever reason, one of the cricketing boards that plays test matches cannot or is unable to, you know, afford or is willing to go for a trs camera i think it behooves the world body the world governing body icc to make it available because that's the only way you keep the playing conditions neutral especially with the world just world test championships coming up every result counts and especially if it's an away result it counts for a lot so in these cases given that uh, you know with the DRS, there's such a lot of, uh, you know, changes that that are that could be possible in a test. It's also unfair on an umpire if you look at it, right? If you are used to always yeah. umpiring with DRS, you have a certain mindset. You go yeah. with the majority decision knowing that in case it is overturned, mm. you know, the, the team that challenged really benefits or in mm. case it's not overturned, it's not overly hurt because an umpire's call will save the DRS review, right? Mm-hmm. So th- there is already, already a certain mindset in the way these umpires think about it. If maybe Sundaram Ravi have given it out, having forgotten that there is no DRS, you know, he knows a blooper is caught because there is a DRS, but now he can't do it. He's it's going back yeah. to the old days. So yeah. it's, it's it's a longer discussion, but I mean to draw a line and read quickly. I would say uh, yes, you know, it's it's, it's a bit uh, it's a bit of an unfortunate thing that this match had no DRS. Maybe the decision, maybe the result may not have changed, but this decision could have had an impact on some of the other things that went on in this match. We don't know, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, uh, we'll have to see how it goes uh, going forward. Now, uh, that was a very good, uh, you know, uh, test match win for Afghanistan. And we wish them all the best. And, you know, the way the Irish play their cricket, it's very heartening to see it. They fought back twice in the third innings of the test, twice in the only two test matches they've played. And Kevin O'Brien has been at the heart of both these fight backs, let me put it like that. So it behooves well for them or it really, you can see that they're headed in the right direction. Then probably their next test match might already bring them their, you know, next test match win, big first test match win because they were playing in foreign conditions and the way they fought back give them a lot of credit for in my book, right? So that really did not just fold and you know it was not innings victory or a 10 wicket victory or some such so they have done well so i would say they would they should take a lot of heart from this this is my you know way of looking at it as a test match fan and uh, as always test match was the victor i would say you know afghanistan won the match but the uh, number of twists and turns meant you can't keep your eyes off the action and or the, or your ears of the action depending on how you follow it and that's fantastic for me right that's that's all positive yeah. All right. Uh, anything to add, Giri, Or shall we go on to the one-day and the short format cricket? Um, yeah, I think let's do that.
0: Let's do that. Yeah.
1: All right. So, uh, let's quickly look at the fifth ODI between uh, South Africa and Sri Lanka, which was played on 16th. So, this was um, uh, this match was again, you know, sort of the result of this match was it was a dead rubber because it was a comfortable uh, victory for uh, south africa again and they took the series 5-0 so in this match in cape town you know uh, sri lanka who had won the toss selected to bat first and we were hoping they are able to mount a challenge and they are able to you know uh, build a tall score but there were no real contributions except uh, kusal mendes who made a very slow and cautious 56 of 84 balls he was supported well by angelo pereira and uh, a new guy priyamal pereira who both made 30s, and then Isuru Udana, who's now gaining reputation as a you know uh, one-day and/or short-format specialist for Sri Lanka, uh, hit a quick uh, <clears throat> 30 as well, uh, 32, and that meant you know Sri Lanka had a middling sort of a 225. And then uh, in bowling, uh, Andre Nortier, who's making the waves as the next new fast bowling sensation in South Africa, took 2 for 35, and uh, Imran Tahir on his last one-day at home took two for 33, so he bowled really well. And Kagisura Robada was the most successful bowler. He took uh, three for 50. In chasing it, you know, um, South Africa started well, very strongly. They lost Peter de Cox very early, but Aidan Markram and Fafty uh, Plessy kept the scoring going. And they added a quick uh, 70 uh, for the you know, first wicket uh, or the second wicket. As a result, Sri Lanka were already behind the eight ball and South Africa were comfortably going to win this match. When rain interrupted this match at 135 for two, and also the, you know, the uh, floodlight pylon failure, that was the main reason rather than the rain in this case. So that meant the match had to be stopped. And uh, based on Dukwat lewis turn, South Africa won the match comfortably. So they win the match by 41 runs. And as a result, took the series final. That meant, you know, Aidan Makram was uh, given the um, player of the match award, but Quentin de Kock took the player of the series award. So that's just a quick roundup of the, uh, you know, the ODI. Now, mm-hmm. when it comes to the T20, maybe, uh, shall we take a quick look at the scores, Kiri, maybe for the T20? Yeah,
0: um, so T20 was played again at Cape Town, um, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, we are just, we are actually recording this, like I said, um right after this uh, T20 uh, game. Okay. Uh, it was a close, closely fought game, uh, a low-scoring uh-huh. game at that. Um, so 134 runs were scored by Sri Lanka, um, mm-hmm. um, who batted first, um, and for the loss of seven wickets. Um, if you look at the scorecard, it was, yeah, I think it was, it, it, nobody really got a big score. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think... The only guy who looked like scoring a bit was the other Mendes, mm-hmm. uh, Kamindu Mendes, not uh, yeah. Kusal, but Kamindu Mendes. Uh-huh. So, Mendes and Pereiras, there are a lot of these uh, guys with the same uh, last name <laughs> in the Sri Lankan <laughs> team right now. So we yeah. have two Pereiras, two Mendes. Uh, okay, um, So I think that they managed to score 134 runs for the loss of seven wickets. Uh, Thanks to that uh, 41 from uh, Caminda Mendes. Um, mm-hmm. Amongst the bowlers, everyone picked up a wicket at least uh, for South Africa. Stein, Rabada, Luto Sipamla, Imran Tahir was very economical mm-hmm. as well. Uh, but the guy who picked up three wickets was Andile Perlok-wayo, Um Three for 25 in his four overs. Uh, Rabada went for a few runs, but in the end, I think 134 was... I think it should, be, it should have been an easy target. Right. Uh, right.
1: <laughs> well, uh, I mean, but, you would expect that uh, form that's uh, South Africa carrying into the match should have made it very easy for them.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, and that's the expectation I had as well. I was not following this ball by ball, but I just looked at the score that Sri Lanka had scored at the innings break, and I said, "Ah, it should be a cakewalk for their, uh, for the South African batsmen." Mm-hmm. But I was, you know, uh, pleasantly surprised that it didn't turn out to be like that. Right. Um, so South Africa didn't really get going. Uh, some starts, but. No real big scores apart from Rassi van der Dusen, 34 runs, and David Miller. Uh, mm-hmm. These two guys held the innings together. And then once uh, these two guys got out, they had a kind of a collapse, mm-hmm. or uh, <laughs> uh, almost like, you know, I don't like to use the word, but they kind of choked mm-hmm. um, uh, while chasing. And in the end, the score was level. 134 for the loss of 8 wickets at the end of 20 overs. Mm-hmm. Thanks to some brilliant bowling uh, from especially Lasit Malinga who mm-hmm. bowled 4 overs, picked up a couple, a couple of wickets, but more importantly uh, only went for 11 runs. That uh, that means 16 dot balls in his 24 mm-hmm. deliveries. Right, right? That's right. amazing. That's uh, Malinga of the old we, that we know of him. Right? I mean, this, uh white ball uh, bowler with supreme mm-hmm. talent you know uh, bowling at the right. death especially um there were other guys like danan Jaya, De Silva, akila darenjaya all these guys picked up a wicket at least um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and van der say the leg spinner uh he went for 25 runs and picked up a wicket but he was uh, able to keep the run rate in check so south africa were never able to stretch their arms and hit the big ones mm-hmm. out of the park um Udana went for a few runs, but crucially, he bowled the last tour of the innings. Mm-hmm. I think South Africa needed five ox, five runs of six oh. deliveries. Yeah, yeah, five runs of six deliveries. Uh, <laughs> you know, you, you would expect uh, any international team these days to win from that position. I think they even had four wickets. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> four wickets. Uh, then, uh, I think three wickets, because Rabada mm-hmm. was out already. So, um, so they kind of lost their way. Um, the last wicket to fall was JP Dumini uh, with two runs required from the last delivery.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, JP Dumini was run out while trying to attempt a second run. So Dale Stein came out to bat. Uh, and um, I think he there was a, another slower delivery from uh, Udana. I, I managed to catch the last bit of this inning. So I watched the uh-huh. last two deliveries. Uh, you know, 19, 19, in the 20th over, the last two deliveries.
1: Mm-hmm. So Udana
0: bowled uh, um, a slow delivery to uh, Dale Stein. That was the last delivery. And then there was an underage which went to the keeper, diquela who had expected that they would run, the batsman would run at any cost. So he had even taken off his so wicket-keeping gloves off his right hand. Mm-hmm. Picked, up the deli- picked up the ball and then aimed at the stumps only to miss them. And Tahir was wow. way, way, way short. Uh, he mm-hmm. was running to mm-hmm. the... Uh, Bat- batting end and uh, he was way short and then the scores were tied at the end. Wow. Uh, okay. So, 134 tied, which meant it was going to be a super over. Would you like mm-hmm. to take us through the super over, Ajit? Because sure. I think you watched yeah. it ball by ball even.
1: Yes. So, well, uh, in the super over, uh, David Miller uh, came out to bat for South Africa. Would bat And David Miller came out to bat with uh, Rasifan Reddushan. And, um, you know... Uh, Miller and uh, they were only able to take a uh, single each of the first two balls. But then mm-hmm. the third ball, Miller was able to get away for a six. It was a uh, more across the line. It was a length delivery. Mm-hmm. They were all slow balls, is what I think in the last over Palinka mm-hmm. bowled. And the third ball was a slower ball which sat up on the length. And this guy was able to whack it across the line for a six. Mm-hmm. But then uh, the fourth one was a, a slower ball that was dipping outside off. And he tried to play a similar stroke, but missed it altogether. But then... Uh, He knew what to expect in the next ball. So, he was waiting uh, well within the crease. They showed that his stance was, uh, both his legs were well within the crease. And Allah Kluzner in the 1999 World Cup, this Mm -hmm. guy was able to just wait, wait. And the ball was a yorker, a slow yorker. He was able to drill it wide uh, of mid-off was within the circle. Right? Mm -hmm. So, it was a classic shot. And then he was again able to, you know, uh, try to hit it straight, the last ball. But Malinga got a hand to it. So, that slowed it Mm -hmm. down but they were still able to run two. So basically they have 14 runs. So it was a reasonably challenging target. So South Africa c- c- come out to defend 15. So there was a bit of confusion there, but it got clarified later that Sri Lanka had to score 15 to win. If Sri Lanka scored only 14 and the match was tied in even after the super over, South Africa would win it because of uh, maximum number of boundary shots in their innings, mm. including the super over, right? That was the uh, this thing result. So, oh, sorry, excluding the super over. So in their completed 20-over innings. So then I think uh, faf plus plessy took a brave call here and gave it to Imran Tahir. You know, historically in T20s, um, a spinner bowling the super over is rare. Even though sometimes, you know, uh, accurate, uh, you know, off break bowlers who bowl darts are usually encouraged to bowl in the depth of a T20 or in the power place they are rarely used for a, a super over because there are some bad examples for example if if you remember that IPL match in 2010 giri when you know mm-hmm. yusuf patan playing for rajasthan royals in the mm-hmm. uh, very first few editions he was up against his current team kolkata knight riders and at that point in time they had scored um, 16 runs or something was the winning target in the super over so it was it was not going to be an easy one so then brendon who was the captain of uh, kolkata took a gamble and gave the super-over to Ajanta Mendes. The, then he was really at his pump, Ajanta Mendes and he was a mystery spinner, right? Mm. But what happened was something unexpected. Yusuf Patan, who was batting in the super-over, simply finished the match by hitting a six of the very first ball, a two of the next ball, another six, and another two, and the match was finished, right? So mm. in this case, it was a very brave move by, I think, Tahir. Uh, so Faf so, and Tahir accepted the challenge. He looked very eager to bowl it, so that that was very obvious. And I think there were some shenanigans before the first ball was bowled with the field settings. I think Giri, you pointed this to me outside, uh, you know, outside yeah. of the discussion, where you said, you know, they were able to first hoodwink uh, Tisaraparayil a little. First, they were able to put three men outside uh, because Tisaraparayil is a left-hander and Tahir has a very good googly. They sort of set it up as if Tahir would bowl a googly by showing him three fielders in the deep on the off, then uh, sort of moving one fielder uh, from the off to the deep in the leg, and then sort of confusing him a little. And then Tahir bowled a good, uh, you know, a quickish uh, and a flattish leg break, mm-hmm. uh, which turned into Tisara Parera, and Tisara Parera just uh, dinked it into the deep on the leg, and they got a single. That was not a bad start. But then what happened over the next couple of balls or the next three balls really determined this match is how I think. Because, you know, uh, Imran Tahir bowled the next ball much faster. And he sort of, it was like a leg break by, uh, you know, or a leg cutter by a medium pacer. So it was 100 uh, kilometers per hour or faster. And uh, Avishka Fernando, who had come out to bat with Tisara, tried to whack this and missed it altogether. But, well, well he nicked it and quitted the cock, dropped the catch. But uh, it didn't matter; it was a drop ball for South Africa. Mm -hmm. So another point to note: David Miller had kept during Sri Lanka's innings, but we here see that Quinton de Kock has taken the gloves because it was the super over. I think they didn't want to uh, use a part timer when a full timer was available, so they went Mm -hmm. back to the tried and tested solution here. And I think uh, at the end of the match. They showed a bit of bantering between David Miller and uh, Quinton de Kock, where I think uh, David Miller made a point that uh, he would have caught the catch. that was Yeah, bragging rights. <laughs> right? Then Tahir, having set up uh, the batsman with two quickish balls, next ball bowls this loopy leg break that pitches on leg and, miss, and comfortably turns outside off. So, Avishka, who's a right-hander, was already ready, sort of waiting back in the crease for the next faster one. He was completely flummoxed. He just... Uh, tried to whack it and just missed that a proper leg break. Then the fourth ball was again a leg break, but this one was held back. Sort of, it was. This is a good bowling, right? He had set up the batsman by showing one length. He just moved the ball a couple of feet towards himself, the bowler. Then he pulled the ball back, and the batsman went after it. That meant the ball just went up high in the air. And Dale Steyn, who was running in from uh, long off, uncharacteristically drops the ball. So the has has come back on strike, but they require 13 runs to win. So they are under the pump. So so is Imran here, you know. He knows how big a hitter Tisara Pereira is. And he probably forgot that even if he gets hit for two sixers, it doesn't matter they win. So what he did was he bowled a wide. He was trying to bowl a googly outside Tisara Pereira's range. It ended up being a wide. Then he got another googly right. In this googly, Tisara Pereira tried to sit and slog it across the line to and missed that. Uh, Tahir was already very happy he was already celebrating it so that meant you know uh, that they, they would require um, 12 runs of one ball then he bowled another one of those balls just like that but that was a wide but it didn't matter the last ball he bowled a proper length ball outside the left left handers off stump and uh, Perera tried to hit it but all they got was one run so basically um, Imran Tahir showed a lot of guts here and won this uh, you know one over eliminator comfortably for South Africa. That was a quick ball-by-ball analysis. We, it's very fresh in our minds, so I thought yeah. we'll present it this way. Right? Yeah. Anything to add, Giri? Here? No, just just
0: that uh, Faf was a brave captain
1: mm-hmm. to give
0: Imran Tahir the ball. And Imran Tahir, I think he weaved his magic very nicely. It's really nice to see a leg spinner uh, bowling so many variations. And bowling, you know, using his brain. Mm-hmm. Reading the batsman's mind and... <laughs> Keeping uh, you know keeping uh, the game very interesting right till the end. Uh, I think South Africa should have won this match uh, you know much
1: earlier, mm-hmm. but in the end I think they deserve to win. Of course, that of course, the uh, they should have wrapped it up much easier. You're yeah. absolutely mm-hmm. right. But well, I mean, all swell, the trends well, sure, right. Yeah. So yes, now uh, let's take a quick look at the other cricketing events going around in the world of cricket and other news from the cricketing world, right. So, first of all, uh, the first of these is um, the PSL 2019 final uh, happened on Sunday, 17th of March. And uh, Quetta Gladiators won the tournament for the first time. In a third time of trying, they managed mm-hmm. to secure the trophy. So, we would like to congratulate Quetta Gladiators uh, team and their captain, Sarfraz Ahmed, uh, upon yeah. successfully you know winning the uh, Pakistan Super League for the first time. So, if you were to quickly look at this match... Um, at the toss, Sarfraz won the toss and surprisingly chose to bowl. It was completely against everybody's expectation because this was in the National Stadium, Karachi. It was a sort of a used pitch. It had a little bit of wear and tear, but everybody expected the pitch would play neutral and pitch would be, you know, still a good high-scoring pitch. So everybody was surprised when Sarfraz chose to bowl, but apparently he had a clear plan of action in his mind. Right? And his bowlers were able to beautifully execute it. So Mohamed Hasnain, who's the Latest fast bowling sensation to come out of Pakistan. We discussed about him last week. This guy took 3 for 30, and then, uh, you know, Wayne Bravo, this uh, famous, famous uh, champion, took 2 for 24. Uh, As a result, um, and Fava Ahmad, who had uh, in the previous match suffered a you know, terrible injury to his mouth and had uh, to have some teeth uh, implanted and some emergency gum surgery, he was able to make a comeback and he did a good job for his captain, taking one for 22 in his allotted four overs. All of this, along with not enough solid performances from Pekhavar uh, Zalmi, meant that, you know, Shweb Maksud made 20, ball 20, and Umar Amin sort of made... Um, 38 at a strike rate of 115 but the finishing touches never came. I think Kieran Pollard uh, was out uh, trying to hit. He, there was no momentum there towards the end. Darren Sami scored uh, 18 of just uh, 16 balls but that was way behind what was expected. Vahab Riyas tried to contribute a bit but in the end there are some strange tactics. Darren Sami would not run singles trying to keep strike in the last two, yeah. hours, trying to hit out but it didn't work out and it didn't look good either. But all in all, they were only able to make 138. That meant in the chase, Shane Watson and Ahmed Shahzad were on these two openers from Koyota Gladiators. Shane Watson has been very successful. He's one of the few uh, batters out there. I think he's only one of the three uh, batters who are uh, make who have made more than 1,000 runs aggregate in PSL already. And uh, Shane Watson failed. He just made seven. But Amr Shahzad, who's been in good form throughout this tournament, made sure he took it upon himself to play till the end and win the match comfortably for his team. So in the duration of this innings, while making 58, he completed 1,000 runs as well in PSL. And Hassan Ali supported him really well. So when Shane Watson's wicket fell, there was a little bit of pressure. I think uh, uh, Peshawar uh, team has a lot of uh, pedigree there, and they brought in some pressure with their bowling. Uh, They have uh, Timal Mills and Hassan Ali, who are very quick and Chris Jordan, who's surprisingly quicker off the pitch. But what happened is, uh, Ahsan Ali, who came in at three, scored at, <clears throat> you know, uh, almost a strike rate of 140, making sure there was no pressure on Hamas Shahzad. And Hamas Shahzad continued to score at 110 throughout, and comfortably made sure, you know, even after Hassan Ali was out, they had Russo, who was who's also been in good form. And all they needed to was score at 110 or 115, and they comfortably won this match. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Mohamed momad hasneen was named the uh, player of the match for his bowling and shane watson uh, was named both the batsman of the series and the player of the series hasan ali took away the bowler of the series uh, mm-hmm. trophy so if you look at it uh, Zalmi's uh, hasan ali is the only winner all the three other winners are from uh, uh, you know quetta gladiators this shows that they also had the best performing players in the tournament so all in all a wonderful performance uh, from quetta gladiators to win so Going forward, well, there is a funny, funny incident in the world of cricket that we would like to bring to your notice this week. So this Leeward Islands debacle, did you follow this, Giri, or did you read about it? Uh,
0: No, I think I very briefly caught the article, caught my attention, but uh, didn't really go through detail. I only know that uh, a team declared to lose the match in order to qualify uh, for uh, the next leg of the tournament. Uh, And they (laughs) missed out by some miscalculation. Right? Yes,
1: yes. Uh, so, well, a small correction there. The tournament was sort of decided. The, You know, the uh, first-class trophy in uh, West Indies, it's called the WICB Regional 4-day Tournament. Right. This one is okay. a round robin league tournament. There are no finals played there. Okay. 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 So, as a result, um, <clears throat> Guyana had already won the match even before this day's play began. But the teams that were second and third were competing, so I think this is for the prize money involved and the sponsorship deals and other things that come through. So it was Barbados versus Leeward Islands, both of whom could have finished second. Mm-hmm. So in this in this game, Rakim Conwell was the captain of Leeward Islands, and I don't know what sort of discussions happened in that dressing room between the coaching staff and the captain and stuff. So uh, sort of the first innings uh, at the end of the first innings, Barbados had built a lead of 101. Right. So Leeward Islands were batting in the second innings, and when they reached 83 for two, they're still 18 behind uh, Barbados and making them bat. They have actually uh, declared. So at 83 for two, they declared on themselves 18 runs behind, thereby losing the match by an innings. So it was a very weird thing to do, first of all. Right? I mean to actually, you know, um, well, to quote our friends from the Canbow Control podcast, this is a bit of our hattery, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, eventually, they ended up losing the second spot to Barbados, not only the match, mm-hmm. but also the second spot on that uh, tournament to Barbados because they lost to Barbados by 0.2 points, 0.2 points. So that's how much of a miscalculation has happened, uh, like a decimal point made them mm-hmm. lose the second spot. You know, mm-hmm. probably if they had scored 10, 15 more runs, you know, and then they would have declared on themselves and still lost, probably they would have avoided this. But I don't understand what's going on here, right? Yeah so it's a very weird thing to read and it also doesn't board well i think uh, in the upcoming days there may be some disciplinary hearings and maybe there may be some you know penalties or some such to pay we'll keep our eyes on this but it, it was a very weird thing to read as a cricketing fan somebody who declares themselves to lose a match you know there are test matches where Captains have declared twice and lost a test mm. match. But those were very competitive tests that went into the fifth day and such. Nobody declares them uh, declares upon themselves when they're behind and then loses, which is very weird. Anyway, that's one thing. So um, going forward, you know, Virat Kohli has said that Indian players can decide for themselves how much they would like to play in the IPL, how many matches, how much. So the team management, he says, has not enforced any... You know, quotas uh, for them that they can only play so many matches in this year's IPL with the World Cup and a very busy season coming up, right? But Kohli says it's up to the players. So that's a, that's I see that that's a very mature thing. Um, so for example, that's that also shows that this management has a lot of trust in players and the routines and regimens they have been able to come up with. And given that there is also a little bit of a you know a uh, restive period or a resting period possible. I think uh, that's not a bad idea. So the other news that has come through is Karuna Ratna, dimuth Karuna Ratna, who led Sri Lanka to a very famous 2-0 victory or even a whitewash against South Africa in South Africa, is now has been hinted at by the selectorial board of Sri Lankan cricket that maybe he is in the frame for the one-day captaincy role. You know, Lasit Malinga, who is current uh, the incumbent Sri Lankan one-day captain, is uh, not been very successful. Uh, He has just overseen a final whitewash at the hands of South Africa in South Africa in one day. But also, he has not won a single match in his nine matches in charge. So this doesn't fill the selectors with confidence. But uh, when you look at Karuna Ratna's record, right, it doesn't fill us with a lot of confidence, doesn't it, Kiri?
0: No, I think he... (laughs) How many one days has he played? Maybe 10 or 15?
1: Exactly. Yeah, so...
0: Uh, he's not even in the uh, original one-day setup. So the, the team which toured South Africa recently, I think after the Test Series, he returned home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was not part of the one-day squad there, uh, the squad which lost oh. uh, to South Africa 5-0. Mm. Um, so it's, it's it's very strange uh, mm. to see if he's going to become the captain. But Malinga mm. himself doesn't have such a strong record, right? So he's, 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 he's on a winning uh, uh, run right now. Or, uh, sorry, a losing run, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Um, so how many matches has he now lost as a captain? Continuously? Nine in a
1: row. Nine in a row. That's so, two series losses.
0: Yeah. Okay, so so is the Sri Lanka and management is always doing a bit of, you know, uh, chipping and changing and all these things. Um, I don't know. Is, is, is it going to stabilize the team? Maybe they, they need somebody uh, uh, as a good strategist. Maybe Karuna Ratna is a good guy for that mm-hmm. position. But, uh, mm-hmm. batting wise, I don't know if he's
1: good enough to uh,
0: well,
1: open the innings, for for example. When you look at his record, uh, he's not in the one-day setup with the last four years. He's not played after the last World Cup already. Right? Mm-hmm. And he averages only 17 in about 15 matches. So, that in itself is not very, you know, uh, it doesn't give one a lot of confidence. But I think they're they are betting on a winning horse here. Because he won them the test matches. And also, mm-hmm. When you look at their openers, they don't have a stable opening partnership in one dayers either, just like tests. Because this guy has this nouse to hold one end up. Maybe in England, because there are swinging conditions, maybe they have some plans. But we'll see how it goes. As a result, Karna Ratna has put his you know, uh, countess into Thamshire on hold, uh, yeah. hoping that he gets uh, selected in the initial squad and maybe makes it to the final squad as a captain. We'll see how it goes. This is one thing. And the other thing, of course, uh, is that the CWA, uh, CWA have, the um, you know, uh, admitted liability in Phil Simmons' dismissal as a coach. So, you know, Phil Simmons uh, was dismissed as a West Indies coach in uh, 2016 on the back of certain comments he made in the media regarding external influences in team selection and so on, interference from outside and so on. So he was sort of hinting at the management, the board, Dave Cameron and these people, I think. And, um, well it may look like uh, his dismissal has been judged as unfair by a court in the land there in Antigua. And uh, it might mean that he might get compensation up to $400,000. So not only this, uh, there's also a lot of, you know, uh, Dave Cameron, who's the incumbent CWI chief, might be, uh, is up against for a re-election and he's facing a bit of, uh, you know, um, let's say competition from his own colleague, Ricky Skerritt. Right? So maybe this may may mean that... uh, there may be some change at the top at WACB and uh, it doesn't look like Dave Cameron was a really popular choice. So maybe it's time. Well, just a quick point. So um, some other quick points. Well, um, England and Australia are actually considering putting their uh, you know, names and numbers on their uh, shirts for test matches in the Ashes series, mm-hmm. in the upcoming Ashes. Giri, any thoughts on this? Uh,
0: I'm not so sure about this. Uh, frankly speaking, I don't like the idea of this i understand it's uh, it's it's in use for uh, white ball cricket uh, and also in county cricket right i think you mentioned this offline so the county teams do have players wearing numbers and their names on uh, um on their shirts I- i'm not too sure this is a good idea um, but let's see i don't know uh, let's see what's mm-hmm. going to happen but we'll see when the ashes are uh, you know they, when they begin
1: Well, for me, you know, it might not be a very bad idea. I was reading one of these tweets by Guerrilla South Africa, Guerrilla Cricket South Africa, and they said that, you know, this might be a way in which to identify, help people, identify players. You know, that's the whole point of that naming on the back of the shirt, right? Mm -hmm. So it's traditional to not wear any markings on your test match uh, you know, cricket clothing, but hmm. uh, something very, you know, something very small is still there. But uh, this might not be a bad idea if it means, you know, it helps popularize test cricket. At the end of the day, we are still fans of test cricket. You know, yeah. we are talking yeah. of day-night tests. We are talking of other things. If this is one of those other things that might help people identify with their heroes, they already know of their heroes, right? And also in test match arenas, where uh, true heroes are born or true heroes are, you know, it's the crucible where they are, uh, you know, made. Hmm. So, maybe it might not be a bad idea. We'll have to see how it pans as out. As long as they don't make it look ugly. I, I think they have some, some experience stuff. in this. No, I agree Yeah, they do? Okay. In county cricket, uh, people wear names and numbers on whites, on creams or whites. You know? Because right now, I think all test-playing nations, uh, the, the players
0: who wear their uh, whites basically have their test match number or the, the player uh there's, you know for example somebody like uh somebody with the number 123 is the 123rd player test player for that country right so where they have a small number like that but that's not actually visible visible uh,
1: right so, well it's on the. but this is more of a squad yeah.
0: number right, um, right. so dhoni gets uh, number 7 and dhoni doesn't play anymore right so virat kohli gets 18 for example on his back
1: okay.
0: uh, and uh, stuff like that
1: uh, <laughs> which uh-huh. is yeah, it's going to be interesting Although I don't like other Mm. countries like to follow up on it, but uh, as you say, keeping it uh, tasteful and Mm. keeping it, uh, not making it very obsequious, not making it in your face um, might, might work as you say, and maybe this might be a format, this might be a format that other countries might want to copy as well, right? Let's see how Mm. it goes. If it makes test match better, man, if it makes more people come to test matches, I'm all for it. That's my thinking. That's Mm. all. Mm. All right. A uh, couple of quick points. So, um, well, uh, it we saw that today Smith and uh, Warner were reintegrated back officially into the Australian setup. They were welcomed with open arms by their one day teammates. These two will not be taking part in the one dayers but they'll be training with the team for just a couple of points, a couple of days, mm-hmm. just for a reintegration, you know, sort of a yeah. way. And of course, at the end of the day, they have also, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, They'll be flying away and playing the IPL. They've already, you know, gone. But they spent a couple of days with the team. So it looks like they're being welcomed back here with open arms. This is good to see. You know, the team could use them. But more importantly, they could use being a part of the team for sure. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's just a quick thing. We'll see how it, uh, how it, evolves in the upcoming days because they'll be participating in the IPL initially. And Mm. I don't know if they'll really get a chance uh, to participate on behalf of Australia in the upcoming World Cup. Maybe it's not on the horizon for Australia. That's the feeling one gets when when one looks at this is the last possible opportunity Australia has before the World Cup to play in one day series. So they might not be on the list, especially given that Australia beat India recently with the team they have. Yeah. I think uh, the selectors may have decided to not blood these two in the World Cup, but rather save them for the Ashes. I think in preparation
0: for the World Cup, uh, we will go. We'll in the future episodes we will go through each team, and then we'll when when it comes to that we will also look at the names uh, uh, for each team, the, the players who are going to play, or you know our from from our perspective, and also see how it's going to shape up. I think we'll we'll do that in the future, and then we'll come back to these guys.
1: Good one. Yes, that's a good idea, agree So, mm-hmm. another small point, it's just breaking news. It just came to our notice now that, you know, the, the Indian uh, BCCI, the Indian Board for uh, Cricket uh, Control, may actually advertise the coach of the Indians' uh, men's coach position. They may send out an advertising for it. There's no news yet, but and we'll have to really see, uh, because, you know, after the World Cup... Uh, both Shastri and all his deputies the fast bowling coach the spin coach and the padding consultant all of these people uh, their uh, you know their coaching terms are coming to an end as per contract so uh, it might be a, you know an exercise where bcci is just looking to see if there are better options available but it might also mean that you know Uh, they may actually want to change. We'll we'll have to see. So we'll have to keep our eyes on this, Giri, right? It it is a developing story. Let's not talk too much about it in this episode, but I'm sure we'll look at it in the upcoming episodes. Now then, uh, because we have been discussing about uh, test matches and wins, first wins for Afghanistan and all these things, I think our trivia question for this week should also be surrounding this, right? So our trivia question this week is, which nation holds the record for the quickest test win? in terms of number of matches right not in terms of time but in terms of number of matches which nation holds the record for the quickest test win well uh, we discussed a little bit about it while speaking about the afghanistan ireland test if you have been paying attention you probably already know the answer right mm-hmm. all right now uh, all that remains is a bit of housekeeping so i would like to remind all our listeners that uh, please leave us a feedback Please do subscribe to our podcast on any platform you listen to, be it Apple Podcasts or Spotify or, you know, even um, Podbean. Any of these also leave us a rating and, you know, talk about it. Talk about it to your cricket uh, friends. This this is one way where we are able to, you know, use you guys who are our true fans as our own strength, right? Also, we have a lot of cricket that we can discuss, at least uh, the remaining international matches before the IPL. And then, as we have already hinted, we will probably discuss some teams. Uh, You know, we will probably discuss uh, one by one the teams that are uh, in the fray for the World Cup. We'll be looking at it one by one in the upcoming episodes. So that's one thing. Also, we would like to say a quick thank you to Guerrilla Cricket South Africa. They always give us a nice platform. They play our episodes Uh, Whenever there's a break in play, for example, in the recent uh, last fifth ODI between South Africa and Sri Lanka, when there was this uh, pylon light failure, they were able to play an episode for us. Thanks. Thank you very much to them uh, for making us, uh, you know, uh, make a use of their platform. Thanks a lot. All right. That was that. So please do get in touch with us. As I say, our uh, Twitter uh, handle is at Armchair Pod. We are on Facebook. We have occasional quizzes. So you can also participate in that. You can also write into to us at armchair.cricket at gmail.com, right? If you're interested in some new ideas that you want to share with us for our podcast or if you want to take part in our podcast, maybe you want to discuss a specific section or maybe you want to pitch in as a specialist for a specific country, do write in to us, right? Thanks a lot, Kesh. So, uh, with all that, I would say it's a goodbye from me. And
0: it's a goodbye from him. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Armchair Cricket Podcast.